And welcome to New Hope Church. This is a part of um, the service that we get to give our tithes and offerings. But if you're a visitor or a first-time attendee, um, and you have a home church someplace else, please save your tithes and offerings for your home church. But if you're just visiting for the first time, please accept this service as a gift from us to you. And then for the rest of us, we get to give our tithes and offerings. And this is a thing that I'm so thankful for. We just got through Thanksgiving, and my family came together. But besides my family, we had lots of friends come over, and everybody brought something. We had pies and salads and turkeys and ham and beef and all kinds of stuff. We had like 30 people in the house. And that's just like our church here. We have our family here. And we all come together, and we all support what's happening here. And it's just a great place. I get to meet new friends every week. And I get to work up here and serve up here. And this is the best day of the whole week, just where we get to be together and socialize and meet each other. So if there's somebody you see that you don't know, please introduce yourself. It's a great time together. And... Um, so let's just pray and give thanks for this time. Lord, we just thank you for this time of offering to continue our worship to you, Lord, that we love you and we just want to worship you and bless you with these offerings. May you use it to continue your, your works, your missions that we have in our church. For without these gifts and offerings, we couldn't do anything. But it's by your power, your Holy Spirit, that the people give and that we know what to do with these things. Amen. Okay, now, this week's service is titled, Jesus Satisfies. And they put together a little video clip asking, what satisfies you? So please join me in, in watching and enjoying this video. Three, two, one. Good morning, everyone. I'm Anella. And I'm Zelia. We will be going around meeting new people and asking questions that surround the topic of satisfaction. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. My name is Kailani Kaihue. So, um, what satisfies you spiritually? Oh my God. <laughs> Are you gonna hit me like that? <laughs> I feel like when it comes down to it, money, possessions, and worldly things will only satisfy you for a certain amount of time until it doesn't one day. And so I feel like even though, yeah, the concert was great and there was a lot going on and it was super fun, I think what satisfies me spiritually is family, love, God of course, but you know, there's all kinds of things that this world doesn't offer us. It's just natural things that we inhibit within ourselves that satisfies us spiritually. You killed that. Great job. My name is Jonathan. Okay, so Jonathan, what satisfies you spiritually? Spiritually, the only thing that really satisfies is a close relationship with Jesus. Like reading your word, being in prayer, that's where you get filled. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hello. Hi. What is your name? Camille. Beautiful. Beautiful name. So do you know what satisfies me? <laughs> All right, that's you have you an idea great. of what it means? No? No. You want to take a guess? No. <laughs> it's okay. You did great. Thank you. No? No. no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My name is Jay Blinky. 
else. All right, so I have one question for you today, and that is, what are some things that satisfy you spiritually? I think one of the things that satisfies my spirit is knowing that God has me no matter what. Um, because we were made in the image of God, I know that I am able to succeed in whatever I put my heart and my mind to. So I think that's like the biggest thing as a single mom. You gotta give everything to the Lord in order for you to move forward. So spiritually, I know He got me. That was great. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, so we're here Hello. with... Uh, what is your name, ma'am? My name is Nalani Longaket. All right, so I have one question for you today. Yes. Are you long. satisfied with today's message? Oh, I am very satisfied. I am refreshed. Mahalo to my family of God, Pastor Sheldon, all of you. I thank you for reminding us in the Word that we need to be refreshed. Thank you. I feel refreshed. And I'm so refreshed, <laughs> I hunger and thirst no Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Aloha. Well, good morning. And can we thank all of those who told us what satisfies? Hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Like my husband said, he was the guy who did the offering, that we had family, and fr actually, they were all family over. And it was very satisfying. Now, what's amazing to me is that. We get one day out of 365 where we get to focus and pay attention to and celebrate with people all the things that we're satisfied with and thankful for. And then a couple of hours later, we go and buy more stuff so next year we can celebrate being thankful and grateful for those things. And some of you are going, no, no, I didn't buy stuff for me. I was actually buying stuff for other people. So you were just shopping so they could be more thankful next year. Now, I'm kind of joking about that, but think about it. We spend one day being grateful, being thankful, and then the next day kicks off the busiest shopping season of the year. But that's just the culture that we live in. See, we live in a culture that says that if we can just get, get more clothes, get the best clothes, get the right house, get the right car, get enough money in the bank, the best retirement plan, if we can get vacations, the best education, whatever else that we can think of, if we can get all of that, then life will be good. If you watch any commercial, the ad companies will communicate to you that if you drink their product, eat their product, wear their product, buy their product, drive in their product, or whatever else with their product, life will be good. Now, isn't it true that right now, in this day and age and in the world that we live in, that it's, there's so many tangible things around that it's easy to think that if we just own that, that we'll be satisfied. Yet many of these things have a shelf life. They're very temporary. And if we turn to these things to satisfy ourselves, our satisfaction will only last a very short time and then we're going to be looking for the next thing to satisfy us. Now, years ago, when we moved into this church, we had a nice green area right behind the Sunday school. And we would do Sunday school. We had amazing teachers that presented the lesson so well. We had great curriculum. But at the end of the lesson, we always wanted to take the kids out to play because this is Hawaii, and it's sunny, and it's beautiful. And let's let them uh, ab apply what they're learning by playing together. So we used to have these little tykes Playground equipment. You remember those? Plastic. After a while, they get kind of, you got to get new ones because they get brittle and all that. 
So one year we thought, what if we got a playground for the kids? And we shared that idea with Pastor Alex. He was the senior pastor at the time. And he said, you know, actually we need new chairs. And when the people walk in, it's raining and we want them to be dry. And we want to do the covered walkway. So let's do this. Let's take a one-time offering for the chairs and the covered walkways in the playground. So we did. We did a series. Then we did a night where we came. And this church gave enough for the chairs that you're sitting in, the covered walkways, and the playground. And we were so excited. And in one weekend, all the dads came, and we put that playground together. And we had, you, this church gave so much that we were able to put the best covering at that time down for our kids. And so the first Sunday came, and the kids went out, and they played, and it was so amazing. And the next Sunday, they had their Sunday school lesson. They had the crafts that they did. They did all the things that they did, and then when the um, time was right, we took them out for um, about 10 minutes on the playground. And then the next Sunday, it rained, and I was so disappointed. Now, what changed? We still have... We still have amazing teachers that present great curriculum. Our kids still learn the Word of God. They learn how to apply the Word of God to their lives. That didn't change. That still happened. We still had a fabulous playground that this church gave in one offering for. We still had the greatest ground cover at that time. And I was dissatisfied. And the only thing that changed was my expectation. Because you know what I thought? Oh, we should have had a covered playground. See, we look to things to satisfy us, and then we always want to add more. Or we always want to look for more. And when we look for people or things or situations to satisfy us, we will eventually become dissatisfied and begin to look for the next thing to bring us satisfaction. And this is a never-ending cycle that can only lead to frustration. Now, towards the end of his life, King Solomon, who was considered the richest and wisest man of his time, reflected on all that he owned and all that he experienced. He had filled his life with just about everything a man of his time could want and have, and yet nothing made sense to him. He had filled his life with wisdom, with pleasure, with work, and he found them lacking. And towards the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's some things that he wrote. About wisdom, he wrote, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And about pleasure, he wrote, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And about work, he said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless at chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. 
Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I have poured all my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. King Solomon experienced and owned all that there was to own, and in the end, he found it all lacking and meaningless. And not much has changed since Solomon wrote the book Ecclesiastes. A recent survey among people from all ethnic backgrounds, cultures, religions, social, social strata, and walks of life within the U.S. reveals that more than 70% of people surveyed feel dissatisfied with their life. It didn't matter if they were a successful executive, if they were unemployed, whether they were a college graduate, a high school dropout, whether they were rich, poor, whether they were religious or not, male or female, none of that mattered. Over 70% feel that their lives are meaningless, unfulfilling, and purposeless. The writer of Proverbs wrote that the root of this hopelessness comes from trusting in things. He wrote, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like the green leaf. See, nothing that the world offers will last forever. And if we cling to the things of this world to bring us satisfaction, then we will only be temporarily satisfied. Jesus gave the antidote to that when he gave one of his most famous teachings. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And as he spoke to his followers, he gave instructions on how to avoid that sense of purpose, purposefulness and unfulfillment. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, according to Jesus, there's a way to be filled, and it's not found in seeking after the things that this world calls success or purposeful. Instead, it's found in seeking after the things that are found in the kingdom of God. Satisfaction is not something that happens because life is good. Satisfaction happens because we make wise choices. And if we'll choose these three things, we'll have unending satisfaction. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Choose to be satisfied with what God is doing. Be satisfied with what God is doing. Dissatisfaction often creeps in when we have no understanding of what God is doing. We want him to meet our needs in our time, in our way. And when he doesn't do so, we question his motives, we question his care, and we slowly and surely begin to distrust God, we suspect his control, and we begin to doubt his goodness. Author and Bible study teacher Lisa Turkus had her whole world turned upside down with some news that she received. And after that time, she wrote a book called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And in that book, she writes this. When his timing seems questionable, his lack of intervention seems hurtful, and his promises seem doubtful, I get afraid, I get confused, and left alone with those feelings, I can't help but feel disappointed that God isn't doing what I assume a good God should do. I want to assume that God would have seen the rejection coming my way and stopped me from writing on that topic. Or better yet, I want to assume God would have intervened and prevented this rejection from happening in the first place. I want to assume that his promise to never leave me or forsake me means that he's operating like a supernatural shield around me. 
preventing horrific things from happening to me and those I love. I want to assume that my definition of best should be God's definition of best and that my definition of good should be God's definition of good. I want to write the story of my life according to all my assumptions. Therefore, it's impossible to escape the truth that I don't want to relinquish control to God. I want to take control from God. And then I make the most dangerous assumption of all. I could surely do all of this better than God. Now the idea of being able to do better than God is the beginning of sin. That's exactly what happened with Satan. Prior to being cast out of heaven, do you know that he was a worshiper? The prophet Ezekiel describes him this way. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was yours, was your covering. The sardius, ta- topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were cre- prepared for you on the day that you were created. Satan was created to be a worshiper, and he was beautiful, and he had everything that he needed, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted the position that God held. He became prideful, and he wanted to place himself above God. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah wrote about Satan's fall. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will descend upon the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And when he failed to gain God's position, he went after God's creation to gain position with them. After he was cast out of heaven, he appeared to Eve, and he caused her to doubt God's goodness. And if you have your Bibles, we can open it to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll just read a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the servant said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the same sin that Satan wanted. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. See, through their interaction with the enemy, Adam and Eve became dissatisfied with God's provision, with his instruction, and with his word. They doubted his goodness, and then he ate some of the fruit that he told them not to eat. Now, dissatisfaction with God's plans didn't end in Eden. When Jesus was here on earth, 
The religious leaders and the Jewish people were seeking and hoping to be delivered from the Roman occupation. And when Jesus came on the scene, speaking about the kingdom of God, they thought, finally, finally, deliverance is here. It's right around the corner. But Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came in to usher in the kingdom of God. In fact, when he would spend time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and those that the people called sinners, they would grumble. And one time he looked at them and he said, I came to seek and save the lost. And that's not what the Jewish people and the leaders were looking for. And because they were looking for a king to deliver them from Rome, they were dissatisfied with the king who came to deliver them from their sins. It was this dissatisfaction that blinded them to what God was accomplishing. They were not satisfied with everything that Jesus was doing. And that's really too bad. Because what Jesus was accomplishing, and he's still accomplishing today, is you, it's me, and it's every believer that has ever walked this earth or will walk this earth since Jesus' resurrection. He came to seek and save the lost. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, gave us a really clear picture of God's heart and his purpose. In a letter, he wrote to the believers who were feeling intimidation and ongoing, ongoing persecution because of their new faith. And he reminded them that God's purpose was far greater than anything they were facing. See, it was easy for these believers to lose sight of what God was doing because of their circumstances. And in the midst of trying times, God reminded them that God's purpose, I mean, Peter reminded them that God's purpose was bigger than the persecution that they faced. That they were not to doubt in God's plan or his goodness, and they were to keep his eyes on God's purpose. And he wrote them to remember, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, long before Jesus even walked this earth, the prophet Ezekiel wrote the same thing to the Jewish people. He wrote, Tell them as I live, says the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from their way and live. Repent. Repent of your evil way. Why will you die, house of Israel? God's purpose and his desire is that every single person would have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we need to be reminded that God's plan and his purpose is much bigger than our circumstances. We need to shift our view from us, from what's happening right now, from the circumstances that we're in, and from our expectation to what God's purpose is. And you can write this down for your second note. We need to see what God sees. Choose to see what God sees. When we first moved into our house, <clears throat> we have a rock wall, and we had a wooden fence on top of the rock wall, and then the yard's behind that. And when we moved in, I didn't like, well, nobody likes, there was these weeds. And so I wanted them gone. And then I told my husband, look, instead of weed whacking, let me burn them. And he said, no. And I said, no, no, come on, I know what I'm doing. Let me burn them. And I kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And finally he said, okay, 
I'll let you burn them, but be careful. So he gets the torch, he sets it up. My grandson Micah was um, with us at the time, he was nine years old. And Tom turns to Micah and says, help grandma out. So I'm over there, I take the torch and I'm burning the weeds and it's kind of cool because they go, and they shrivel and die. You go next and they shrivel and die. Then I got to this one that was in the wall. So I'm burning it and it didn't shrivel and die. So I'm like, well, that's weird. So I'm concentrating on the weed and I'm, I'm holding the torch and it's actually, and you can hear, and I'm burning it and burning it and it's not dying. And I'm looking at the weed like, why won't this weed die? And just about that time, I hear Micah's voice. So I turn to look and as I turn to look, whoosh, and there's this big orange wall of fire right behind my wooden fence. I didn't realize that I was burning the weed that wasn't burning, that behind the, the wall, the other weeds were catching fire. So Micah ran and got the hose, and we got it out, which is a good thing. I still have my house, I still have my yard, and my husband doesn't let me burn weeds anymore. <laughs> but while I was burning that stubborn weed, I got focused only on that weed in just this little small area of my fence that I was looking at. And I was so focused that I missed the bigger picture, that behind the fence, a fire was starting. And I think that sometimes that describes our lives. We get so focused on making a living, on paying bills, on planning for our vacations, on shuttling our kids to school and from school to practice and then back home again and doing homework and then starting the whole thing again tomorrow that we don't look past today. But we're not going to live here forever. We're meant for so much more. And that's the same message that Jesus shared with his disciples as he ate his final Passover meal with them. He told them what was going to happen in a few hours. He said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry, because I'm going to rise again. But they focused on that, and they became sad. And so he paints a picture for them of what's ahead. And he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. See, right now, as we go about our day-to-day -day life, right now, as we're in this room, as you leave here later on and you drive home, right now, God is preparing a place for us in eternity. And we are so unaware of that. We live for now. We get focused on our life here on earth. And we want to make sure that we're set for retirement. We want to set ourselves up for what will happen just before we die. We, we set ourselves up for what we're going to leave our kids. Yet, this life is not all that we have. This life is actually just a short dash on the timeline of eternity. See, when I go to a funeral or when we go to a funeral, we get that little um, program. It usually has a picture of the person that passed. Then it has the year they were born, it has the year that they entered eternity, and then there's this dash. And that dash represents their life here on earth. It represents everything that they've ever done, everything they've ever said, every person that they've ever met, every person they've ever talked to. That's our lives. And then we begin to live for that dash. 
And we start piling everything into this dash, and we forget that this dash belongs to all of this. Our lives are just a dash on the timeline of eternity. And I believe that I can honestly say that every single one of us tries to fit into this dash everything that we can. Now, when I was burning my weeds, what I should have done was keep an eye, step back, keep an eye out on what's going on as I did it. I should have paused and watched everything. And that's how we need to live our lives. We need to step back and not just look at right now the circumstances on everything that we're doing. We need to step back and look at the bigger picture of our lives and how it affects eternity and what God's got planned for us in eternity and how do I prepare myself for eternity. We need to enjoy our dash but we also need to plan for eternity. That's why Jesus tells us that instead of building our lives and futures on temporary things, we need to build with eternity in mind. Jesus told his followers, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's not wrong to want a house for your family, a car to get around in, clothes to wear, and vacations for making memories. It's not wrong to plan for retirement or to want to leave something for your family. None of it's wrong. I do it. We all do it. But it cannot be our focus. We need to live for something bigger than this world. And we have to learn to look past the things that this world offers to the eternity that God planned for us. When I was in fourth grade, we lived in Florida. And my friend one year came home with a trophy from playing softball. So I made it my goal that the next year I was going to join softball and I wanted a trophy. And that was my goal. I liked softball, but it wasn't my thing. But I wanted to get that trophy. Now, mind you, this was back in the 60s. You didn't get a trophy just for being on the team. You had to earn the trophy. So my goal was I was going to earn a trophy. And I thought the easiest trophy for me to get was most improved because I didn't know anything about softball. So that season, I set out to learn everything I could about softball, not because I wanted to play softball, but because I wanted a trophy. Now, we were an average team. We didn't win a lot. We didn't lose a lot. But I set out I was going to be the most improved. And at the end of the season, we have our little banquet and all that, and my name gets called. I didn't get most improved. But I did get a trophy for most inspirational because I think I tried harder. And I remember getting my trophy and I was so happy and posing. Then I took my trophy home and I stuck it on my dress and I was so proud of my trophy. So thrilled. But then I was done. I didn't play softball after that because I got my trophy. I wasn't in it for softball, I was in it for the trophy. See, I think my coaches had a bigger purpose in mind. They wanted to teach us teamwork. They wanted to teach us um, how to work together, sportsmanship, about discipline and commitment. And I think that's why they were able to stay on year after year and coach all these girls softball. But I wanted the trophy, so at the end of the season, my trophy on my dresser, I was done. Now, for a few weeks, I was thrilled with that trophy. When I cleaned my room, I polished my trophy. But after a few months, when I cleaned my room, I just moved the trophy so I could polish everything else. And after a while, I'd walk in my room. I didn't notice the trophy. 
we're a military family. We moved every three years. I'm not even sure we took the trophy with us when we moved. See, I set my goal and my desire on getting that trophy, and when I got it and accomplished what I would, had done, I was done. I had lost interest. I had lost purpose. I didn't ever play softball again, except for later I played on the church league. And I wonder if that attitude and that kind of perspective is the reason why 70% of the people in the survey I mentioned earlier feel like their life is purposeless, meaningless, and unfulfilled. Because we always set our goal on getting, and then when we get, we're on to the next thing. In his book, What on Earth Am I Here For?, Rick Warren wrote, it is a fatal mistake to assume that God's goal for your life is material prosperity or popular success as the world defines it. The abundant life has nothing to do with material abundance and faithfulness to God does not guarantee success in a career or even in a ministry. Never focus on temporary crowns. So what if we were to shift our focus off of the immediate and begin to see from God's perspective and the eternity that he invites us to? Solomon wrote these words. He said, yet God has made everything beautiful for its time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That desire for eternity that we have given to us by God but we can't see everything. We can see little bits of what God's doing, but we can't see everything. We have a longing and a desire for eternity. And then we try to fill that longing with possessions, with desires, with education and wealth. But there's going to come a time when we hold those up against the thing God offers and the eternity that he gives us. And just like my trophy, they're going to lose their luster. They won't be interesting and it'll become meaningless. Satisfaction is not something that happens because life is good. It happens because we make wise cho choices. So choose to be satisfied with what God is doing. See what God sees. And then the third thing is choose to dream with Jesus. Dream with Jesus. Did you know that Jesus has a dream for each and every one of us? At the end of his last supper, Jesus spoke of this dream. He had already warned his disciples about what was coming. He'd given them instructions. He'd cast vision for the future. And then before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for them. And he prayed for us. He prayed for you, and he prayed for me. And in his prayer, we catch his heart. We catch his dream for everyone who would come after his death and his resurrection. And he prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those, that's us, who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be the one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for us was not that we'd be successful. It was not that we would be rich. 
It was not that we would have everything we'd ever want. His prayer was that we would have real and authentic relationship. Jesus' dream for us is that we would connect with people in a very real and very honest way. Now, sometimes our dreams look different from God's, and our timing is different from His. However, whether we're highly educated, whether we experience every pleasure, whether we have, all, have everything we want, whether we have a large bank account, all the clothes in the world, ultimately, they will not satisfy our deepest longings. Rick Elias is a CEO of a large marketing company. Now, do you remember that story of the plane that was flying and it had a crash land in the Hudson River? He was on that plane. And he tells a story of those moments when they didn't know if they were going to live or die. And he writes, he writes of that day, and he writes of everything that he was thinking. And he says he saw the terror in the eyes of the flight attendants. As the pilot said, the three most emotionless words he had ever heard. Brace for impact. And then he says that in that moment, he learned some important things about himself. He said, life changes in an instant. We all have a bucket list, things we want to do, but we're waiting for the right time or the right amount of money. And then he thought about all the people he wanted to reach out to, but he didn't. All the fences he wanted to mend, but hadn't got to. All the experiences he wanted to have and never did. He said he regretted the time he wasted on things that didn't matter with people that do matter. He thought about his relationship with his wife, his friends, with people in general, and he realized that above everything else, all he wanted was to be a good father. Rick Elias faced death, and he realized that when we face the end of our lives, that what we own what we've accomplished, what our reputation is, doesn't matter. The thing that matters most is relationship. Now, as followers of Christ, we get a free takeaway. See, we don't have to face death to realize that. God himself tells us what's valuable. Love. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples in his final meal a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, Jesus says, things will not satisfy us. Moth will eat it. Rust will destroy it. Thieves will steal it. But love one another. That's what matters. Jesus satisfies. And he satisfies us by giving us love. His love and then love for others. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our soul, not just for today, but for all eternity. And he does that through our relationships. So choose to be satisfied with what God is doing. Choose to see what God sees and then choose to dream with Jesus. So you can close your Bibles, put away your notes. And I'm going to just close. I'm going to read this from Rick Warren's book. And he says, In real fellowship, 
people experience authenticity. Authentic fellowship is not superficial, surface-level chit-chat. It is genuine, heart-to-heart, sometimes gut-level sharing. It happens when people get honest about who they are and what is happening in their lives. They share their hurts, reveal their feelings, confess their failures, disclose their doubts, admit their fears, acknowledge their weaknesses, and ask for help in prayer. Jesus satisfies. He satisfies us through relationship. He satisfies us by bringing us into his kingdom. He satisfies us by setting us up for eternity because that's what lasts forever. And so my prayer for you is that, that we would want above everything else an eternity with Jesus and relationships that are healthy and strong. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for calling us into your kingdom, for making us yours, and for wanting relationship with us. So Lord God, we pray that as we leave here, that we leave here knowing that true satisfaction comes, not in the things that we have or own, but in loving you and in being loved by you, and in loving others and being loved by them. So Lord, set us up. Set us up to leave these walls, to be your light, to bring your hope, and to set it eternity in the grasp of others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.